Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome to the georgine rice show podcast this program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 kpdq we hope you enjoy the show well good afternoon and welcome to the tuesday edition of the georgine rice show today i'm looking forward to a conversation with pastor wendell robinson he's the senior pastor at mount olivet baptist church and the author of the forthcoming book Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. The book is published by Zulon and will be available for purchase on the 10th of October, but you can pre-order. We'll give you all the important details during my conversation in the second hour of today's program, or you can go to kpdq.com or the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. You're going to want to get Kingdom Moments. Again, we'll talk more about that with him in the five o'clock hour. But first, to look at some of the day's headlines in a late night prediction, Speaker Nancy Pelosi revealed how she thinks the midterms will go and jabs at Trump during a late show appearance. I believe the speaker said that we will hold the House, referring to her Democrat Party, as the audience roared with applause and we will hold the House by winning more seats. Predictions are well and good, but elections actually determine outcomes. We haven't had one yet. On a catastrophic error, energy experts sound the alarm on Europe's energy crisis as a clear and present warning for America. And buyers beware. Hurricane Ian flooded an untold number of vehicles when it hit Florida and other southern states last week. And experts are warning unsuspecting car buyers against the heightened risk of fraud as those cars may soon appear for sale across the U.S. with no disclosure of the damage. So buyer beware. In a race case, the U.S. Supreme Court will debate racial gerrymandering and saying, I'm going to do it again. President Biden reportedly revealed his 2024 plans to Reverend Al Sharpton. And yes, he says he intends to run. Well, calling her a wolf in sheep's clothing, an MSNBC columnist claims political advancement of women like Italy's uh, Giorgia Maloney will literally cost lives in a Another example of hyperbole. Admitting that was uh, was me, Whoopi Goldberg hits a Daily Beast reporter for knocking her fat suit in a film, the Emmett Till film. And apparently Goldberg wasn't wearing a fat suit. Be careful what you uh, suggest. Well, the Republican National Committee filed a complaint alleging Google sends GOP related emails to a spam folder. The Daily Wire reports the Republican National Committee filed the complaint with the FEC, alleging that Google is suppressing the GOP vote in November by sending millions of RNC election emails to recipients' spam folders. According to RNC officials, over 22 million emails sent in the last three days of September from the RNC were spammed by Google, over 3.1 million on September 28th, over 9.8 million on September 29th and over 9.97 million on September 30th. Evidence was offered by the RNC that party emails go from strong inbox delivery, 90 to 100 percent, down to zero percent by the time the month is ending. Meanwhile, Republicans have pointed to a nonpartisan study by researchers in North Carolina State University, which found that Gmail allows the vast majority of emails from Democratic Party 
to land in the user's inbox, while more than two-thirds of messages from conservative candidates are marked as spam. Gmail retained the majority of left-wing candidate emails inbox, 10.12% marked as spam, while sent the majority of right-wing candidates' emails to the spam folder up to 77.2% marked as spam, the study found. Well, home prices are seeing the largest declines since 2009. According to Bloomberg, medium home prices fell 0.98% in August from a month earlier, following a 1.05% drop in July. Mortgage data provider Black Knight Inc. said in a report on Monday, the two periods mark the largest monthly decline since January of 2009. The housing market is losing steam fast with skyrocketing mortgage rates driving affordability to the lowest level since the 80s. The Federal Reserve has sought to curb inflation, which has thrown cold water on the U.S. real estate boom. In addition to the large rate hike, Fed officials laid out an aggressive path of rate increases for the remainder of the year. New economic projections released after a two-day meeting show policymakers expect interest rates to hit 4.4 percent by the end of the year, suggesting that another three quarter percent point increase is on the table. Former President Trump is suing CNN for defamation. CBS reports that the former president is suing the uh, broadcaster for defamation and asking for compensatory damages in excess of $75,000 and punitive damages of $475 million. He's claiming that the cable news giant has harmed his reputation with false, defamatory and inflammatory mischaracterizations of him and that CNN's conduct is intended to interfere with his political career, end quote. In particular, Trump argues that he's entitled to hundreds of millions of dollars in punitive damages because CNN uses the term the big lie to describe Trump's Trump's stated concerns about the integrity of the election process for the 2020 presidential election. Charlie Kirk weighs in, saying that President Trump is suing the company for $475 million, claiming... The network has carried out a campaign of libel and slander against him. Trump's suit references um, CNN's labeling him as a racist, Russian lackey, insurrectionist and Hitler. President Biden visited Puerto Rico to assess hurricane damage and announced a $60 million relief plan. Political reports that the president will survey storm damage and meet with families and community leaders in Puerto Rico. Uh, where he um, this was on Monday, he actually already did this. He said he announced a 60 million dollar fund uh, through a bipartisan infrastructure law for disaster recovery and preparedness for future storms. The recovery and ongoing search and rescue effort after the hurricane have threatened to overshadow the devastation in Puerto Rico, which was ravaged by Hurricane Fiona more than two weeks ago. More than 100,000 people continue to go without power as a result of the storm damage. North Korea fired a possible ballistic missile over Japan. North Korea fired what appears to be a ballistic missile over the nation of Japan. The country's Ministry of Defense said on Monday, the government of South Korea confirmed that the Japanese government warned citizens to take shelter. The missile likely flew over Japan, but it is still unknown whether the missile fell into the sea. A government spokesperson said no damage has been reported so far and a search is underway for debris. Officials are gathering information and will work South Korea and the U.S. Uh, on uh, CNN, Tuesday's launch, they said, marks uh, North Korea's 23rd missile launch this year, including both ballistic and cruise missiles. However, launches over Japan are rare. 
The last time North Korea fired a ballistic missile over territorial Japan was back in September of 2017 when the projectile flew over the northern Japanese island of Hokkaido. Uh, Disclosed TV points out that North Korea fired the ballistic missile that flew over Japan. The missile alerts have been activated. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break. We'll continue to work our way through some of the day's headlines and look forward to a conversation with Pastor Wendell Robinson, senior pastor at Mount uh, Mount Olivet Baptist Church and author of the forthcoming book, Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later in the second hour of today's program, a conversation with Wendell Robinson, senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church and author of Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. The book will be available for purchase on the 10th of October, but you can pre-order details on our website, kpdq.com or The Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. Well, Ukraine is being forced to push south into territory Vladimir Putin annexed. Ukrainian forces broke through Russian lines and made new advances in the southern Kherson region while expanding their rapid offensive in the eastern part of the country, retaking areas that Moscow now claims to be part of Russia. Pushing south, the new Ukrainian advance secured a corner of the only Russian foothold on the western bank of the uh, uh, Dnipro River, which bisects the country. Ukraine has the recent... um, has in recent months destroyed all the bridges to that enclave, which includes the regional capital, making it increasingly difficult for the large Russian military contingent there to be resupplied with fuel, ammunition and food. NBC reports that Kiev's troops were pushing forward in the country's east and south, threatening a major new breakthrough and forcing Putin's soldiers to retreat from the territory he claimed to have annexed in a grand ceremony last week. Moscow has matched its annexation claims with a call-up of reservists and new nuclear threats, a broad intervention that has not only threatened to escalate its uh, clash with Ukraine's Western allies, but also exposed domestic vulnerabilities. Meanwhile, Putin's nuclear train has advanced toward Ukraine, uh, increasing fears of an escalation of the war. I hope we're all praying. President Putin is set to demonstrate his willingness to use weapons of mass destruction with a nuclear test on Ukraine's borders. The Kremlin has been signaling its um, readiness for a significant escalation as Russia loses ground on the battlefield. Fears over Putin's earlier hints that he might resort to such tactics heightened yesterday, while claims that a train operated by the secretive nuclear division was destined for Ukraine. A Poland-based defense analyst says that the train spotted in central Russia was linked to the 12th main directorate of the Russian Ministry of Defense and that it was responsible for nuclear munitions, their storage, maintenance, transport and issuance units. In other news, Elon Musk has sent Twitter a letter proposing to buy the social media company for his original offering price of 54.20 a share after spending months trying to back out of the initial deal, according to the new report. This is deja vu all over again. Well, sources told Bloomberg News that Musk has offered to buy Twitter just weeks before he was set to appear in court to fight a lawsuit the company filed over his efforts to pull out of the $44 billion deal. Well, Twitter's stock price briefly shot up as high as 18% on the news before trading was suspended. Musk first began trying to pull the plug on the deal in July. The company argued in its lawsuit that Musk had refused to honor his obligations to Twitter and its stockholders because the deal he signed no longer serves his personal interests. 
That's according to the complaint. A regulatory filing from the attorney on behalf of Musk argued months ago that Twitter is in material breach of multiple provisions of their April 25th merger agreement and appears to have made false and misleading representations upon which Mr. Musk relied when agreeing to purchase the company. Well, Musk had claimed Twitter was undercounting fake bot accounts, which he said was information that is fundamental to Twitter's business and financial performance. Well, Musk sent a third letter to the company in early September attempting to terminate the deal. In the letter, attorneys for Musk argued that an alleged $7.75 million severance payment Twitter made to its former head of security violated a provision of the acquisition contract. Days later, Twitter shareholders voted in favor of carrying out Musk's acquisition of the company, signaling intent to move forward with the deal. And apparently that's what's going to happen. Well, in other news, President Biden told Al Sharpton that he plans to run for a second term during a conversation at the White House last month, according to a new report. I'm going to do it again, Biden told Sharpton while posting for rather posing for a photo on the 2nd of September. An official of uh, Sharpton's National Action Network told NBC News, I'm going. Well, the official told the outlet that Sharpton told his National Action Network staff about the interaction later that day after Biden's meeting with civil rights organizations. Well, during the meeting, Sharpen noted that he had discussed Biden's eventual 2020 run with the now president uh, president during an event in January of 2019 before Biden had publicly announced his intent to run. Biden spoke to Sharpton at an event commemorating Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday at the time, hoping to secure an endorsement, according to NBC News. Well, Biden asked Sharpton for his advice on running at the time. Sharpton told the group last month that he believes he was one of the first to know Biden would run. When the pair took a photo in last month's meeting, Biden told Sharpton he was uh, intending, um, indeed, among the first to know about his plans to run in 2020 before adding that he was going to do it again, according to the report. The report comes less than a month after the president, uh, who is 79 years old, declared on CBS 60 Minutes that it was much too early to make a decision. Of course, this was a private conversation with Sharpton, uh, presumably, and uh, the president probably didn't expect that it would make Headlines. Well, the U.S. national debt has passed $31 trillion for the first time in U.S. history. Treasury Department data released today showed the total national debt was $31.123 trillion as of Monday. The new milestone was reached even as the federal government's insatiable spending has slowed considerably as the COVID pandemic has waned. In the months following the outbreak, the national debt rose by $1 trillion in just a month's time, not just once, but twice in 2020. As a result, the federal government spent $3.1 trillion more than it received in 2020, and it spent $2.8 trillion more than it received the following year. In 2022, the budget deficit is expected to be about $1 trillion. Some experts believe $1 trillion per year in new debt is the floor given growth in entitlement spending as well as new spending priorities set by Congress this year. Those priorities include the Health and Environmental Policy Bill, known as the Inflation Reduction Act, and assisting Ukraine in its war with with Russia. And while much of the drop in the annual budget deficit is due to the easing of emergency COVID spending, President Biden has praised his administration for slowing the rate at which the government accumulates new debt. Well, I won't even bother to comment. On that, well, OPEC's October surprise, higher gas prices. 
OPEC is on the verge of an agreement to slash oil production by a million barrels a day. A production drop by that much is analysts estimating a rise in the price of oil from roughly $80 per barrel uh, that has been for the last couple of months to up to $100 per barrel. Well, thanks to Joe Biden's anti-fossil fuel policies, Americans can expect to see prices at the pump once again start jumping. A recent study found that if Biden had not reserved Donald Trump's or rather reversed Donald Trump's energy policies, the U.S. would be producing roughly two to three million uh, more barrels a day, which would contribute an additional one hundred billion dollars to the American economy. Furthermore, the U.S. would be in prime position to export even more natural gas to Europe. But Biden, beholden to the untenable green dream, has effectively worked to hamstring our nation's ability to produce energy, and Americans will be paying for it just as the midterm campaigns head into the home stretch. An Iranian revolution this time? Well, the protesting and rioting in Iran ignited by the death of a 22-year-old woman while in police custody. She was arrested for not wearing her hijab correctly, has now been declared a revolution by protesters. Well, as the protests have spread across the country, the Iranian regime has cracked down by killing roughly 90 people thus far. On Monday, Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, blamed the growing conflict on the U.S. and Israel. This rioting was planned, he insisted. These riots and insecurities were designed by America and the Zionist regime and their employees, end quote. This revolution is similar to that of the Iranian Green Movement back in 2011, which Barack Obama essentially ignored. Will things be different this time? Well, not if Joe Biden follows Obama's lead and puts a nuclear deal first. One student involved in these uh, current protests declared, this is far from over. We are not scared. We are outraged. We are furious. You know, these people think that we are the previous generation, that if they do this, we're going to just stop. We are not going to stop. End quote. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to continue looking at some of the day's news. And in the second hour, a conversation with a new author, the book Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. Pastor Wendell Robinson will be my guest. He's the senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a conversation in the five o'clock hour with Pastor Wendell Robinson. He is the senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church, and he's the author of a forthcoming book, Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. The book is published by Zulon, will be available on the 10th of this month, which is next Monday, but you can pre-order. You can find the details at kpdq.com or on The Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. Well, President Biden's Department of Justice defended former President Trump's firing of Peter Strzok. Uh, The Trump um, is enemy number one for Joe Biden and company. But Biden routinely makes clear that he thinks the greatest threat to America is MAGA Republicans. Thus, it comes as somewhat of a surprise that Biden's Justice Department is actually defending an action taken while Trump was president. The firing of disgraced former FBI agent Peter Strzok. Recall that Strzok was a central figure in the FBI's investigation into both the Hillary Clinton email scandal and Trump's alleged collusion with Russia. 
Thanks to his text messages, Strzok outed himself as being deeply biased against the president with statements suggesting he would work to prevent Trump's election. Well, after these texts came to light, Trump's Department of Justice fired Strzok in the summer of 2018. A year after his firing, Strzok filed a lawsuit against the department, alleging that the decision to fire Special Agent Strzok in violation of his constitutional rights was the result of a long and public campaign by President Trump and his allies to vilify Strzok and pressure the FBI to terminate him, end quote. Well, following his election, Biden's Department of Justice inherited Strzok's unsolved lawsuit rather than drop the case and capitulate to the claims. Attorney General Merrick Garland decided to continue to defend the firing. This is likely because Strzok's behavior was, quite frankly, indefensible, as then FBI Deputy Director David Bowditch, um, who fired him, observed, It's difficult to fathom the repeated sustained errors of judgment you made while serving as the lead agent in two of the most high-profile investigations in the country. Your sustained pattern of bad judgment in the use of an FBI device has called into question for many the decisions made during both the Clinton email investigation and the initial stages of the Russian collusion investigation. In short, your repeated selfishness has called into question the credibility of the entire FBI. End quote. Well, pro-life Herschel Walker allegedly paid for a girlfriend's abortion. Walker vows uh, that he is going to file a lawsuit after the flat-out lie that he paid for his girlfriend's abortion. His son has since come out and denounced him. Courts are mostly siding with red states on election laws. Uh, law changes post-2020. And September border crossings will set a new record. The U.S. Supreme Court will review tech companies' liability under federal law. And UC Berkeley is being blasted for creating a Jewish free zone, or zones, there's more than one, with a pro-Israel speaker ban. Suicides increased 4% in 2021 after two consecutive years of decline. San Francisco celebrated Chinese communism in a flag-raising to honor the founding of the communist nation. North Korea fired a ballistic missile over Japan and Ukraine is advancing in south after hammering Russia in the northeast. Well, on this day in history, 1777, General George Washington's troops launched an assault on the British at Germantown, Pennsylvania, resulting in heavy American casualties. 1861, during the Civil War, the U.S. Navy authorizes the construction of the first ironclad ship, the USS Monitor. 1940, Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini confer at Brenner Pass in the Alps. 1957, the Space Age begins as the Soviet Union launches Sputnik 1, the first artificial satellite, into orbit. 1990, after six decades apart, Lawmakers gather in the Reichstag for the first time, first meeting of reunited Germany's parliament. 1991, the U.S. and 25 other nations signed the Madrid Protocol, which imposes a 50-year ban on oil exploration and mining in Antarctica. 2002, in a federal court in Boston, a laughing Richard Reed pleads guilty to trying to blow up a transatlantic flight with explosives in his shoe. The British citizen was later sentenced to life in prison. Also in 2002, a tearful American Taliban, John Walker Lind, receives a 20-year sentence for conspiring with Islamic radicals to kill his countrymen. 2003, a Palestinian woman blows herself up inside a restaurant in Haifa, Israel, killing 21 bystanders. 2004, the Spaceship One rocket, well, a rocket plane, 
Both things apparently apply. Breaks through Earth's atmosphere to the edge of space for the second time in five days, capturing the $10 million Ansari X Prize aimed at opening the final frontier to tourists. Pioneering astronaut Gordon Cooper dies in Ventura, California at 77. 2014, North Korea's presumptive number two leader, Huang Pyongso, and other members of Pyongyang's inner circle meet with South Korean officials in the rival's highest level face-to-face talks in five years. I can recall in 2014, there was hope that some reconciliation would follow. Sadly, that has not been the case. Well, EcoHealth Alliance, the U.S. nonprofit that uses National Institute of Health funds to conduct dangerous coronavirus research in partnership with China's Wuhan Institute of Virology prior to the global COVID-19 pandemic, has been approved for yet another five-year federal grant, despite a history of violating the terms of its contracts. Well, on the 21st of last month, the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, headed by the soon-to-be-stepping-down Anthony Fauci, approved a new five-year grant for EcoHealth. The nonprofit will receive $653,392 this year and is in line to receive more than $3.25 million over the next five years. The grant is to analyze, and I'm quoting, the potential for future bat coronavirus emergence in Myanmar, Laos, and Vietnam according to a description on the NIH Reporter website. Well, this newest grant is one of four concurrent NIH grants that EcoHealth has. Three of the four grants were awarded after the start of COVID-19, the pandemic. This is a high-risk research that involves going into remote, often inaccessible areas and sampling bats and bat excreta, and then returning those samples to laboratories and population centers where they attempt to isolate the virus. Well, the description of this newest EcoHealth project wouldn't qualify as gain-of-function research, according to insiders. Gain-of-function research involves extracting viruses from animals and engineering them in a lab to make them more transmissible or dangerous to humans. But Ebright said two of the EcoHealth's grants do involve gain-of-function research and enhanced potential pandemic research on coronavirus. Many are scratching their heads and some in Congress are questioning this new funding. Well, a dozen federal judges say that they are no longer hiring clerks from Yale Law School, citing a slew of scandals that they say have undermined free speech and intellectual diversity. Well, in addition to Fifth Circuit Judge James Ho, who announced on Thursday that he would no longer hire law clerks from the nation's top ranked law school. Twelve federal judges, both circuit and district jurists, told the Washington Free Beacon they are joining the boycott. Students should be mindful that they will face diminished opportunities if they go to Yale, said a prominent circuit court judge whose clerks have gone on a, uh, to nab Supreme Court clerkships. I have no confidence that they're being taught anything, end quote. Well, that's quite a statement. With one exception, the judges made clear this is a policy they are imposing on future, not current, Yale Law School students. A spokeswoman for the law school did not respond to requests for comment, but one can only imagine what a current Yale Law School student thinks about their prospects moving forward. Well, if the boycott catches on among other uh, judges, it could deal a serious blow to Yale Law School, which has uh, maintained the top spot in the U.S. News and World Report rankings since the publication began ranking law schools in the 80s. Clerkships, uh, particularly on the federal bench, are coveted. Uh, they're jobs that the uh, in the legal p- uh, profession, and many students choose Yale over other law schools because it graduates uh, uh, 
historically uh, more students uh, who have the best shot of clerking for prominent judges. A boycott could change that uh, that calculus, forcing Yale administrators to rein in activists, students and colleagues if they want to keep attracting the best and the brightest and if they want to maintain even a fig leaf of ideological diversity. Well, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. Uh, I want to remind you that in the second hour, a great conversation with the pastor of Mount Olivet Baptist Church. And by the way, if you're looking for a church home, they're located in North Portland. Check it out. Wendell Robinson is the senior pastor at Mount Olivet and the author of a new book, Kingdom Moments. We'll tell you all about it when he joins us in the second hour of today's program. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the federal court in Indiana ruled on Friday in favor of a Catholic private school that fired a teacher who had entered into a same-sex union in violation of her contract with the institution. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis and its schools can select, retain, or dismiss faculty according to their religious standards. Judge Richard Young decided in Fitzgerald versus Ron Colley High School and Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Well, the case concerned instructor Shelley Fitzgerald, the co-director of guidance at the high school in Indianapolis, whose employment was terminated after she confirmed to the school three months after starting work there that she was in a same-sex union. The school placed her on administrative leave and declined to renew her contract for the following year, claiming that Fitzgerald's admitted conduct was prohibited by the agreement she signed when she was hired. The guidance counselor subsequently launched a discrimination lawsuit against the school and the archdiocese. Well, on Thursday, the court threw out the lawsuit, noting that Roncalli encrusted Fitzgerald to uh, teach the Catholic faith and carry out her religious mission, which she failed to do. In the contract, she signed the, the school described Fitzgerald as a minister of faith. The contract also contained a default clause stipulating that Fitzgerald would forfeit her position if she engaged in personal conduct or at variance with the moral or religious teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, end quote. Well, the Catholic doctrine states that marriage must be between a man and a woman. The Supreme Court has long recognized that religious organizations have a constitutional right to hire individuals who believe in their faith's ideals and are committed to their religious mission. Luke Goodrich, vice president and senior counsel of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, which represented the defendants, said in a press release, this is a common sense ruling. Catholic schools exist to pass on Catholic faith to their students. To do that, they need freedom to ask Catholic educators to uphold Catholic values. And of course, it has implications for non-Catholic parochial schools as well. A funny thing happened to a Democrat's same-sex marriage bill on its trip from the House to the Senate. People actually started reading the legislation, and when they did, an uncomfortable reality set in. Nothing in the text explicitly outlawed polygamy. It was just a drafting error, the more liberal senator claimed, but it wasn't a drafting error when a New York judge recognized polyamory last month. How much longer until the party who um, wants love to be the legal basis for every relationship follows suit? Well, the decision by trial judge Karen May um, Backdane uh, should have been front page news. After all, she essentially gave New York's blessing to uh, these unions in her September decision, declaring that the problem with previous same-sex marriage rulings is that they recognize only two-person relationships. At the heart of the case was an apartment dispute triggered when a tenant who was um, had a gay spouse living elsewhere died. The landlords argued that the man had died. Um, the man um, did live uh, with 
didn't have the right to renew the lease because the two weren't married. When the roommate objected, arguing that he was a non-traditional family member, the judge decided to hold a hearing on whether all three were romantically involved. Well, to make a long, rather sordid story uh, short, the judge decided absolutely, essentially saying uh, time has arrived to legalize polygamy which is unlawful in most states, but moving in that direction. I remember during the campaign to determine how marriage would be defined in the state of Oregon, questions were asked about um, what difference it would make and that it wouldn't have an impact on anything else. And for those who believed that it would, it was simply poo-pooed as being ridiculous. Well, we're seeing lots of changes as a, uh, as a result. Then there's this. Three isn't a crowd for these dads. A gay polyamorous California thruple made history in 2017 when they became the first family in the state to list three dads on a birth certificate. Their reproductive journey and legal battle to become fathers to Piper, now three, is detailed in a new book. Jenkins and his partners, um, which now also includes their son, um, is becoming less and less unusual. Well, I won't go into the details, but the tru- the thruple, as it's called, detailed their reproductive journey and legal battle to become fathers to a three-year-old. Over the next um, year, the family spent somewhere around $120,000 on legal fees, contracts, implantations, and uh, tests. And the final outcome, that a thruple was recognized as the legal parents of an individual, all three males with no acknowledgement of the female that's absolutely necessary, not only to contribute to the birth, but to carry the child to term. It's a new day that we are living in. Well, a public records release shed some new light on the FBI's raid of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home and 15 boxes of documents that Trump previously provided. Well, late Monday, the National Archives and Records Administration released 65 pages of documents in response to a public records request from the Heritage Oversight Project, the Daily Signal and other media and watchdog organizations. Well, the documents referenced North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, Trump's predecessor in the White House, and lengthy correspondence with archives officials and House Democrats investigating Trump's Trump rather pressing that he be accountable for possible violation of the Presidential Records Act, a law that requires presidents leaving office transfer administration records to the National Archives. Well, former President Trump had possession of classified information and some documents were torn up and taped back together, according to the information. However, the National Archives invoked various exemptions to the Freedom of Information Act to stop the release of some 3000 pages of documents. The reasons for the exemptions included an ongoing Justice Department investigation and the agency's deliberations with Congress on what to release. Well, the Heritage Foundation, the parent organization of the Daily Signal, sued the National Archives and the Justice Department in September after the two agencies refused to comply with public records requests regarding the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago in August. Well, the documents offered only a glimpse of correspondence between the 45th president and North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, Trump's predecessor in the White House, and lengthy exchanges with archives officers and House Democrats. Some of the takeaways from this new disclosure, Kim Jong-un correspondence. In 2021, May the 6th, the National Archives General Counsel emailed lawyers who served in the Trump White House um, about obtaining the records. The email said the 
that Gast, who's the name of one of the uh, individuals, had been very helpful in assisting with social media records from Trump, but noted there is also now certain paper textual records that we cannot account for. For example, the original correspondence between the president and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un were not transferred to us. It is our understanding that in January of last year, prior uh, just prior to the end of the administration, the originals were put in a binder for the president, but were never returned to the Office of Records Management. Well, Trump met with Kim in 2018 to attempt to convince the dictator to denuclearize. Also, Obama's letters to Trump's first day or on his first day, the same email uh, message from Stern sought to uh, sought a letter from President Barack Obama to the incoming president during the presidential transition. Similarly, the letter from President Obama left for President Trump on his first day in office has not been transferred since that letter was received by President Trump after his term commenced. It is a presidential record. Well, correspondence between presidents such as Obama and Trump could contribute to the historical record. After negotiations, Trump transferred 15 boxes of documents to the National Archives in January. Also, House Democrats um, hounded archives on uh, on Trump. In February, House Democrats started stressing that Trump and his senior advisors must also be held accountable for violation of the Presidential Records Act. Suddenly, there was a great deal of concern and interest in this process that occurs every time there's a change in an administration. On February 9th, the House Oversight Committee and the Reform Committee chairwoman uh, pushed the National Archives for more information about documents it obtained from the former president. Well, the letter came two days after the Washington Post first reported Trump had removed 15 boxes of documents from the White House for storage at his Mar-a-Lago home. So the um, House Democrats played a significant role in the outsized push for this documentation. On February 17th, House Democrats uh, staffer Krista Boyd asked in an email, I'm checking in to confirm that NARA will respond to the chairwoman's letter from for today's deadline speaking to the National Archives. Also, classified national security information, social media and electronic messaging, torn up and taped back together correspondence uh, as well. Information currently being made available about what the latest disclosure from the National Archives has to say about what the uh, uh, the big to-do is all about. Now, it may be entirely legitimate, and the president may be in the wrong, but it's not entirely clear because many of the details are withheld from the general public. That will all be disclosed at some point, but the concern is, will it have an impact on a potential run uh, for the president, the former president, in 2024? That is, if his legal troubles are resolved to the point where that's even possible. We'll continue to follow the rather convoluted story. Up next, we've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour and a conversation with a new author, Kingdom Moments, hearing and responding to the voice of God. But a seasoned pastor and uh, and uh, mission worker, Wendell Robinson, currently the senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church. Up next on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned yesterday and earlier in the program today, I've been looking forward to the conversation we're about to engage in uh, with a pastor I have a great deal of respect for. He has just written his first book, and I'm delighted to talk about that. The ministry of the church he is now the senior pastor of. I'm referring to Wendell Robinson, senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church. He is the author of Kingdom Moments. 
hearing and responding to the voice of God. And aren't we in a season in which we need to hear and be willing to respond to the voice of God? It's a devotional that I think you will find very helpful as we are pressing into God in the midst of the challenges uh, that we face here in the 21st century. Pastor Robinson, such a pleasure to have you. Welcome. The pleasure is mine. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, and to have the opportunity to share what the Lord is doing in uh, in our life as a church, in my life as a, one of God's sons, and what he's doing in this city. Very excited. Well, I, you are a native son. You are from the Portland yes, area. Yes, I am. Yes, and I am. have you been associated with Mount Olivet throughout your um, your adult uh, ministry life? I found or Mount Olivet or... The Holy Spirit found me in 1989. I was born again in 1988 in the streets of Portland on the corner of MLK, like I say it, and Lombard in my mother's Audi 4000, listening to the whine-ins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And uh, it was a supernatural encounter with God. And from that point, probably about six months later, my wife and I made our way to Mount Olivet, probably about a year after Dr. James Martin, the former pastor, was there. Well, you have been involved in ministry for a number of years. You've shared the good news in East and West Africa, in Mexico, in Central and South America, the Caribbean. Uh, you have been involved in uh, significant missional work for a, a period of time. Talk a little bit about your background and your history uh, sharing the gospel in places outside of our local community. Well, it started in 2002 when the Lord had called us to leave Mount Olivet, which was a very difficult thing because uh, my folks lived there. My children were very young. Uh, he called us to leave Mount Olivet to live in Puerto Rico. Now, it doesn't seem very far, but you know, for a city kid that born and raised in Portland, I knew nothing about Puerto Rico, didn't know where it was, and we didn't speak Spanish. And so we left in 2002 to start working there. Then we uh, started um, a nonprofit organization called Reaching the Nations. From that point, uh, we were based in Puerto Rico ministering uh, in a church plant. Uh, And then we started to work in West Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, the Republic of Benin, under the leadership of uh, Dr. Virgil Amos, who was the former founder of Ambassador Fellowship, one of the very few African-American mission organizations in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did all kinds of work on in West Africa. Uh, from there, um, we started to launch into East Africa. That would be Kenya and Uganda, doing um, evangelism, uh, community development. I, I would uh, do various um, revival meetings. Uh, and it just kind of went on and on from there. Uh, we left... Puerto Rico, probably in 2009, and my family and I, we moved to Atlanta, and we started to partner with a a mission organization that was in partnership with North Point under the leadership of Andy Stanley. Hmm. Uh, And from there, we started to work in Haiti, um, Honduras, um, and that kind of went on for a number of years. And then eventually, the Lord brought us back to the great Pacific Northwest, and we partnered with another mission organization uh, in Vancouver called Forward Edge and started to work in Cameroon and Mexico and um, Puerto Rico again, uh, where else? Nicaragua, Kenya, uh, and, and a number of other places. Uh, so, so a Portland boy who comes to Christ in the <laughs> yeah, 80s is quite comfortable in Portland, hears God's call, yeah. 
ends up in Puerto Rico and then the ends of the earth, if you will. Absolutely. Just faithfully serving him in whatever capacity he whatever would call you capacity. to. With little kids. Yeah, yeah. How did that help prepare you for the pastorate? You have been for, I think, about three years, the senior mm-hmm. pastor at Mount Olivet. You're familiar with the congregation. I am. You're familiar with the community. How did your work abroad prepare you to come back home and serve as a, a missional pastor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, while I was serving as an associate pastor in the late 90s, early 2000s at Mount Olivet, I mentioned the Lord called us out. I was also in seminary finishing up. And um, I was in an MDiv program, and the Lord told me to switch my program from an MDiv program to an MA intercultural program. And I couldn't figure out why, but he said, the church uh, for the future is going to be missional. Mm. And I didn't know really what that meant at the time, but I faithfully uh, changed majors, uh, finished out in a, with an MA in intercultural studies, and then the Lord sent us off. So I really believe that our journey around the world following Jesus um, through various countries and various cultures and various languages is ripe for the church today. Uh, where God is calling his sons and daughters to kind of get out of the building and get into the community, into the streets, to reach across, um, you know, the street across the world, to begin to relate to people of all different um, cultures and kinds of uh, backgrounds. And Portland is that kind of place. Uh, one of the most diverse culturally uh, in, in the country. And uh, I, I just believe this is a perfect place to be missional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you you mentioned that you heard the voice of God. You changed your major while you were in seminary. And this really, I think, is a reflection of the book that we're going to be talking Absolutely. about in just a few moments. Kingdom Moments, um, hearing and responding to the voice of God, hearing you as a pastor say that I heard the, the Lord uh, tell me to change my major. Uh, for some believers that, well, he's a pastor, of course, that he would exactly. hear the voice of God and he would give direct. At the time, of course, you weren't a pastor. No, you were a follower of not. Jesus seeking to honor him and out of obedience listened and, and changed your major. But we're going to we're going to be talking in just a few moments about what it means to have a kingdom moment, how we can attune our hearing so that when the voice of God speaks to us, we recognize it and then we obey. That's right. Uh, and that's that's a real challenge. You begin the book talking about an event that took place in the summer of 1983. And it was tragic. I mean, just reading it for me was traumatic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you were in an accident and you heard the voice of the Lord speak to you. You you suffered this accident. Um, it was uh, different than normal, the way you heard the, the Lord speak. And under those circumstances where this is taking place in a matter of seconds, you had a kingdom moment. Can you describe that uh, that event? Absolutely. Now, it's important to note that I, I wasn't a Jesus follower even then. You weren't a follower of Jesus. I was not, and that's uh, uh, particularly important because the Lord is calling us long before we say yes. Yes, that's right. And many don't uh, understand that that the the grace and the salvation call precedes the decision. And so I was in a a really uh, traumatic accident where I was uh, riding a motorcycle down a side street. Um, uh, It was very dark. Uh, A a truck came uh, through an intersection that I didn't stop for and hit me on my right side and drug me about a half a block. Mm. Uh, the, the truck couldn't stop because apparently the, the gentleman didn't, hadn't uh, put brake fluid in the, in the truck. So 
he kind of rolled to a stop. And this was a matter of seconds, but in a moment when I was hit, uh, I heard a voice. Uh, now, in hindsight, I know it was God. And the moment, I don't know if I was even thinking, other than I heard a voice specifically tell me what to do. And he said, do you want to live? And I said, yes. And this is all internal. He said, well, you need to do what I tell you to do, otherwise you're going to go the way of your motorcycle, which went under the car or truck and was mangled. And so he said, tuck your chin to your chest. Or first he said, grab the bumper with both hands so that you don't go the way your motorcycle went. So I did so. It was a flat, beveled bumper, uh, kind of from an older vehicle. Then he said, um, tuck your chin to your chest so that your head doesn't bang on the concrete. And so I did that. And then the last thing I remember hearing was um, pray that the truck doesn't run into anything. Um, I don't remember particularly praying, but that was the last thing I remember. The truck rolls to a stop. I realize I'm alive. Um, my leg was clearly broken, kind of in a mm. seven shape with my foot going upward uh, and me laying on my left side. Um, and I pulled my leg off, the lower part of my leg dangled because it was a compound fracture where the bone was protruding out of the skin. I sat up, I put it in place. The man jumps out of the car. He's frantic because he thinks he kills me. And I I rattle off my father's home phone number. Uh, and then the next thing I remember, because uh, I did kind of go into a little bit of a blackout, um, is being in the ambulance on my way to the hospital. Um, that was in, gosh, that was in 1989. No, 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 I'm sorry, 1984, um, while I was still in college at Oregon State University. Needless to say, I couldn't go back. But it wasn't years later that I realized that I had a kingdom moment. God met me. Now, you kind of have to decide what you believe. But there's no doubt in my mm -hmm. mind what I experienced. And um, that has been our experience since. And I believe it can be the experience of every believer, not just vocational professionals. Amen. We're talking with Pastor Wendell Robinson. He's senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church and the author of Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. By the way, the book will be released, I believe, on the 8th. Is that the, correct? The 10th. The 10th. Yes. And you can pre-order. We'll give you details about that. And it'll also be on our website so that you can pre-order your copy of Kingdom Moments, a devotional. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Need to take a quick break. So stick with us. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Wendell Robinson. He is the senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church and most recently the author of Kingdom Moments Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. And we are in such a desperate season, I think, in the body of Christ and in the culture in general, that we would hear and respond to the voice of God. You described before the break. Uh, your first kingdom moment, and this predated your uh, profession of faith. That's correct. But you recognized that God was preserving your life. You had purpose. God Absolutely. had places for you to go. Absolutely. Um, you were unaware of it at the time. And I would imagine for listeners to this program who are not followers of Jesus yet, this may be a surprising thing or it may confirm an, uh, an experience they have had. Absolutely. Why do you think God spoke to you before? And you talked a little bit about this a moment ago. Why do you think God spoke to you to preserve your life 
before you had even come to acknowledge him or to know him or to recognize his voice. Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, uh, God <clears throat> wants all of his creation to come to himself. And what I found is that he goes uh, to great lengths to reach us. Yes. Um, and I always tell people that we haven't beat God anywhere. He is everywhere, and he's working in people's hearts even before they know it. I call it persuasive grace. It's the romancing of our hearts. And and so if we if we really stop and examine our life, I think many people, particularly those who don't know Christ, would see signs of God calling them to himself. They just might uh, mistake it as something else. Um, but for me, it was it was pretty clear, and for for everyone, it may not be as profound. But nevertheless, he is uh, actively pursuing his creation, humanity, uh, that they might come into a saving relationship uh, with Jesus. We've been uh, talking about, or at least referencing, your book Kingdom Moments. I believe this is your first book. Very first book. I'm pretty excited. First of many. <laughs> first of many. Yeah. Prayerfully. Um, Kingdom Moments, hearing and responding to the voice of God. I think the challenge of hearing God's voice and being able to distinguish his voice from our own or voices that might be misleading or uh, might mimic his, but isn't entirely um, in- entirely clear. How do we hear the voice of God? Where do we begin? And I know your devotional kind of walks us through that process so that we become practiced at recognizing the shepherd's voice. How do we begin in that process? Well, I think it's important first to uh, demystify or mm. um, another way of saying it is de-spookify it. <laughs> but we don't want the conversation about the voice of God to be uh, mystical or spooky. It, it's very normal. It's it's a part of the everyday normal Christian life for if you're a son or a daughter. And you can actually substitute voice of God for the way in which he communicates. He wants to communicate to us in ways in which we will understand. The, the scripture says that uh, his sheep know his voice. And that's the Greek word phone, which is the English word phonetic. In other words, he tailors his voice in a way in which we will understand because he doesn't want what he has to say to us to be a mystery. He's not trying to play hide and seek mm-hmm. with us. He truly wants us to know. And so uh, there are the uh, – Familiar ways that he speaks, we say through his word, as we're reading his word. Um, he speaks through people. Uh, every day, uh, many believers go to, to churches or they watch churches or, or sermons online, and he uses people to speak. He, he speaks to us through prayer. Uh, he also speaks to us in our dreams uh, and in visions. And, and, you know, that requires some explanation, but it is definitely biblical. Uh, he speaks to us. Uh, like Elijah, uh, with that still, small voice. I call it Holy Spirit nudges. Uh, that's that internal movement, uh, sometimes visceral, that lets us know, hey, I need to talk to you. Uh, how do we discern? Because everybody has that question. How do we know it's not just me? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I say, you know, when he speaks to us, he speaks to us in our own voice. When when I hear him, I'm not hearing a female voice. You don't hear hear James Earl Jones. No, absolutely, it's not that low deep. (laughs) Hello, no, it's it's my own voice. Uh, How do we know? Well, one, uh, we have the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. He's going to give us the ability to discern uh, uh, what is 
God speaking to us and what might just be our own thoughts. Uh, and a lot of it really comes down to relationship. It, it says he will know us and we will know him. It's it's a relationship. Uh, we can't put our, our faith on autopilot. You know, our faith is, is not meant to be uh, a routine. It's a relationship whereby we hang out with the Lord, whatever that looks like for you. But we spend time just like we would spend time with someone we care about. Mm-hmm. There's a familiarity that that occurs by where by where we hear and we understand that it's him speaking, and then uh, as we grow we 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 try we put into practice that which we've heard, and you'll know um, uh, that he speaks because it'll bear fruit in the book Kingdom Moments hearing and responding to the voice of God the other half of that equation is responding it's one thing to hear the voice of God and that's just right. oh that's interesting i appreciate you know that's right. i appreciate the voice but responding we're talking yeah. about obedience and being prepared to respond how do we um how do we prepare to walk in obedience and to respond when God speaks to us through his word through that voice uh, that the holy spirit clarifies is the voice of God guiding us in one direction or another yeah and that's kind of where the rubber meets the road uh, once you sit down with a, a jesus follower uh, and talk through the nuances of hearing God's voice, hearing his communication, many will say, yes, okay, yes, I do hear. Uh, They'll start recalling situations. Mm -hmm. But where the rubber meets the road is once we determine that he has spoken, are we willing to do what he says? And that's where it gets tricky. It gets tricky because we have our way of living our life. And we have our thoughts about what we want to do. We have our dreams. We have our hopes. We have our uh, desires. Uh, but they may not be in line, in alignment with what he wants for us. And so often we are unwilling or afraid to respond because we'd rather just do what we want to do. And that's the tricky part. Uh, I know when he called us to leave everything that meant anything to us, in Portland to go to a land I will show you, which was Puerto Rico. <laughs> that was hard. Mm-hmm. That was hard. It wasn't what we had planned. It wasn't. It wasn't what the pastor who I was serving had planned for my life. But when he looked in my eyes, he realized it was a Jesus calling. And um, but it did require us to move our agenda to the side. I remember for the first year, my wife cried. For the whole year, because it was that difficult, um, and you know. But the thing is, he 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 calls us to obedience. He thanks us for our sacrifices, but the scripture is clear: he prefers obedience above sacrifice. Uh, and, and and so obedience is his clarion call to to the beloved, and it's hard, it's scary. Um, it's uncertain, but you can trust him. That's right. You can absolutely trust him. And sometimes we don't see that until uh, we look back in the rearview mirror of our lives. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, um, But history shows, if we look back, his faithfulness. 
And if he's done it once, he'll do it again. He is faithful. We're talking about the book Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God. My guest is Pastor Wendell Robinson. This is his first book. He's the senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. So if you can, stay with us. We'll also let you know where you can pre-order the book Kingdom Moments. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm Continuing my conversation with Pastor Wendell Robinson, we are so grateful that he's right here in the Portland area for now. Uh, God has him as the senior pastor at Mont- Mount Olivet Baptist Church, and he's just released or will soon release on the 10th of October, Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God, his first book. I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the book. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it's a devotional. It's intended to be a study from one week after another. That's correct. Um, and uh, you design it in such a way that um, we're not just reading, but you have lessons and things we can write in to help reinforce the message that mm-hmm. um, that the Word and, and God is, is teaching us. Can you kind of describe how it's laid out? Yeah, and this is really important. Uh, in, in all of my teaching, there's three basic principles that we try to live by, personally and as a church, um, and that is revelation, demonstration, and activation. Revelation being, what, what did Jesus say? Demonstration, what does it look like? And then activation, what are you going to do about it? It's the idea of... Um, Pairing hearing and doing. Mm-hmm. If you if we separate hearing and doing, then uh, let's just say we we err on the side of hearing. Then we become professional hearers, and that immediately will put you in the lane uh, that the Pharisees were in. Uh, ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. He says that we should not just be hearers of the word, but we should be doers. And so I wanted to write it in such a way that. Uh, gave beautiful revelation, um, also that demonstrated or showed what that looked like through the Word and through personal testimony, but then also challenged the believer to kind of dig in for themselves Mm -hmm. into the Word and then ask the question, what are you going to do about it? Uh, And I specifically took that idea of revelation, demonstration, and activation, and I... um, I put three components in the book that says learn from Jesus, live for Jesus, and love through Jesus. Go and do. And so you'll see that consistently all the way through the book. Learn from Jesus. What is he saying? Live from Jesus. What what are you what is he doing? Um and then love for Jesus. What what are we going to do about it? Uh, that's the 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 basic structure that hopefully moves us just uh from hearing into the arena of actually doing um, what the Lord has said. And the Holy Spirit is a part of that whole process. Absolutely. I so appreciate that emphasis because I think as church-going believers, we oftentimes become spectators and we might hear a good word. Oh, yeah. You know, it penetrates our heart. We're moved, but that's where it ends. But God is calling us, you know, the the church equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. God is calling us to respond in practical ways to see our neighbors as those who uh, may not have access or may not know uh, the God who loves them and pursued them and has extended his grace to them Absolutely. to respond in such a way that's practical. And what you do in the book is give us kind of the, the toolkit to, to walk through not just hearing, but responding in a way that's honoring to him and will minister to others as well. And that there's something so satisfying about mm. the adventure of following Jesus Absolutely. in these practical 
and tangible ways. Absolutely. And th- this is the beauty of it. it, it it's, uh, it's for every single ordinary believer, me included, you included. We're, we're regular folks. Yep. We're ordinary people, as I say, that God wants to do extraordinary things with by way of the Holy Spirit. My wife and I were just eating um, at Sherry's for breakfast, one of our favorite little spots. And um, we had a wonderful breakfast. Um, and as we were finishing up, the, the, the lady who was waiting on us um, came to give me the check, and I felt that nudging. Uh, and as you spend time in the Word and, and with the Lord, you you get to know mm-hmm. what He's saying. And the the impression was simply, she needs uh, to know that I see her. That's what I heard. And she needs to uh, you to pray for her. And so uh, sheepishly, and I'll admit, I don't go into this with great boldness. It's like, oh, gosh, not again, Lord. <laughs> um, I said, ma'am, um, we're Jesus followers. Uh, would you mind if we pray for you? And immediately she starts bawling. Oh. And she begins to talk about her son and his wife and their grandkids. Um, and 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 so we just simply, I said, can can we do it like right now? And she said, yes. You know, there's people around. And so we prayed for her as she's weeping. And she just thanked us. That was it. He didn't ask me to witness. He didn't ask me anything more but to pray for her because uh, perhaps in her time alone, she's wondering if God even hears. Um, and that's that's what hearing and responding to the voice is all about. And that's what Kingdom Moments helps facilitate. Mm-hmm. My prayer is that um, it, it'll be kind of a jump start in people's faith. I've heard people say things who have pr- do, did a pre-read. Uh, I feel like I'm born again, again. Uh, this uh, refreshing, this renewal, this personal revival. That's really uh, at the heart of, of Kingdom Moments. You describe yourself as a revivalist, and you've just used the word. Can you explain what you mean by that and the hope that's attached to being uh, someone who sees revival in our future? Yeah, I, I hope every believer would uh, look at themselves as a personal revivalist. I, I believe uh, there's still a, another great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we can expect. Mm. Um, as in days of old, in the Old Testament, when when things weren't right, um, God's judgment was swift and it was harsh, and uh, he would wipe out whole civilizations. Uh, he doesn't do that anymore. He, he he gave us the rainbow as the, the Noahic covenant, the saying, hey, I won't do that again, won't flood the earth. Uh, instead, I'll pour out my spirit, as Joel reminds us, upon all flesh. And so we don't have to despair that things are falling apart or God's uh, losing his grip on humanity. That is not the case. Uh, he is loving. He's patient. He's working in people's hearts. But there will be outpourings of his spirit. And I believe uh, that it will be in the hearts of many where we uh, embrace what God is doing and we simply respond in faith obedience right where we are in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our churches, everywhere. You, you, there are so many opportunities to respond to God uh, outside of the four walls of the church. I do it all the time. Sometimes I'll hang out in my front yard uh, tilling up the same weed until a neighbor comes out just for an opportunity <laughs> yeah. to say hello instead of just driving into the garage and letting it you know, close behind me and go into my house. Mm. 
hearing and responding to the voice of God. One of the things that impressed me whenever I, I looked you up and I was reading different things, there's always mention of Lisa Robinson. Oh, your yes, wife. my beloved. Can you, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Because I know all of the success that you have had in your travels and in ministry yeah. really is a partnership. And I don't want to overlook the role that she has played in um, in the ministry that Absolutely. you and she together have Absolutely. been involved in. She, too, is a native of Portland. Uh, I'm a Grantonian and she is a, I don't know what the name of their mascot is, but she went to Cleveland High School. And uh, the crazy thing is uh, we were dating um, in the late 80s. Uh, we didn't know Jesus, but uh, in a crazy way, apart from one another, unbeknownst to one another, we both found Jesus at the same time. Mm. And then it was only later that in our dating, we kind of sheepishly shared, not sure how the other was going to respond, that we found Jesus. Amazing. And so um, she's been a, a great uh, Jesus follower. She's been a, an amazing wife of now 32 years of three adult sons, uh, Caleb, who is my eldest. He's 27. My middle son, Josiah, he's 26. And my youngest son, Eli, is 22. Um, he has worked in her life equally as powerful. Mm-hmm. Like this is our story. This is not just my story. This is our story. When I first got called into ministry in, in 1988, um, no, no, it was 95. Yeah, 95. It was by way of a dream. And I won't go into the details of the dream, but again, God spoke. I was so excited. I was a commercial banker for U.S. Bank of Oregon. I woke up and I said, Lisa, I had this crazy dream. I told her the dream. and She said, Wendy, you won't believe it. I had the identical same dream. Wow. And that is how he's met both of us when we were called to the mission field. Uh, he, he met us separately, and then we came together and said, you won't believe what just happened. And it's like our history with him. So he's used her powerfully. She's bilingual like I am. He, he used her powerfully in Puerto Rico, even though she uh, – uh, agonized because she's a very um, uh, in, introvert mm-hmm. kind of a person. Mm-hmm. She's really quiet, but don't let her meekness uh, be mistaken for timidity or, or unwillingness. She's uh, equally been willing to follow the Lord. She's given up a lot uh, to kind of follow this crazy guy called Wendell. Um, but we're partners in crime, so to speak. Um, when people see us in the community, they always typically see us together. It's very rare that you see us apart, even uh, whether it's shopping um, or just doing stuff. We we just find a great joy in being together. And she's uh, been with me in, in uh, gallivanting through Africa. Uh, it, she's a, an incredible uh, human being, a, an awesome Jesus follower. And um, uh, she is finding her own place and space at Mount Olivet. Um, I promised that I wouldn't cast her in a particular role, but I'll let her gifts make room for her, as the yes, scripture says. Yes. Um, and it's happening, you know, it's happening. I, I, I tell her all the time that um, that the fragrance of heaven follows her. Like when she comes into a place, you'll know she's been there. Um, and so I look forward to seeing how the Lord's going to use her um, apart from what I'm doing. I believe she has some books to write. I believe uh, she has some blogs to write and podcasts to do. Um, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, I I always um, take note of how uh, the man of God makes reference to his wife. And my respect for you 
um, was elevated when I saw how she was referenced in the materials that I yes. uh, that I um, that I looked up. So I appreciate that very much. Amen. Well, the book we've been talking about, Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God, Pastor uh, Wendell Robinson. The book will be available on the 10th. You can pre-order um, at, um, let's see official slash Wendell Robinson.com. And I'll put that on our uh, Facebook page and KPDQ.com. So you don't need to remember that, but that will be available on the 10th, but you can pre-order and I would encourage you to do that. It's a devotional that will transform your ability to hear and respond to the voice of God. And I think give you hope uh, looking forward that God is at work, that he is going to revive and we're going to see him uh, move in ways that perhaps will surprise us all, Mm -hmm. uh, but certainly are consistent with what his word has to say. Pastor Robinson, thank you so much, not only for being here today, but for faithfully serving in the church here in the Portland metro area. We so need your faithful leadership, Mm -hmm. and I just want to commend you, encourage our listeners to pray for you when you come to mind, you and your your wife in the congregation, because we need one another here in the body of Christ in the Portland metro area. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. I so enjoyed my conversation with Pastor Wendell Robinson, senior pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church. And if you happen to live in the North Portland area, you might want to check it out. A great Bible teacher. You can also check him out online. So there's an opportunity to sit in on a service, although there's nothing like being there. Uh, but uh, Mount Olivet Baptist Church in North Portland, the title of the book, Kingdom Moments, and you can pre-order. It'll be available on the 10th, but you can pre-order at official slash dot com. And uh, all the details on the book can be found there. Well, Google is in the business of collecting every scrap of data possible, as with many of the big tech companies, perhaps far more so than most. You are the product Well, that's why it's almost unbelievably hypocritical for the company to have just axed a couple of apps from its Android Play Store for the sin of collecting data about users. I mean, that's what they do. So allowing others to do it, apparently unacceptable. Well, Covenant Eyes and Accountable to You, and that's a number to you, are popular accountability apps most often used by Christians who want to kick the habit of viewing pornography. You have um, heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, Jesus said. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust after her has uh, already committed adultery with her in his heart, end quote. Well, how serious is an offense? Um, is this offense? If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. And you know how the scripture goes on. Well, he didn't mean to literally do that, of course, but to give a sense of gravity regarding how we ought to treat our sin, fight it and take away opportunities for it because it is a deadly serious. Well, that's exactly what Christians do by voluntarily downloading the aforementioned apps and partnering with other Christians to hold each other accountable. Uh, it destroys marriages, referring to pornography and families, and it has virtually enslaved millions of primarily men, but not exclusively, to the addiction of viewing it while degrading and objectifying the primary women uh, who are the subjects of it. Well, limiting Uh, is a goal so laudable that even Instagram recently banned a major, uh, well, pornography site. Um, Visa suspended credit card processing for the same site after it came to light that it traffics images and videos of minors. And it's so evil that even the left media rag wired 
promised to uh, rather published a lengthy story that month. Um, the ungodly surveillance of apps that track its use. We'll read that again. Wired has a beef not with objectifying women and children, but with men who try to stop doing so. Well, as a result of this upside down worldview, Wired says it presented its findings, read anti-Christian screed to Google, which then decided that the two apps violate its policy. Well, this is neither an endorsement nor a critique of the two websites, Covenant Eyes and Accountable to You, or any number of other apps that track user behavior for the purpose of modifying or correcting that behavior voluntarily on the part of those who subscribe. And it's also not um, commentary on how users employ the apps. It is a rebuke of Google, which, again, exists for the purpose of collecting and selling your data for profit. Even Google efforts to convey altruistic concern for users' privacy are infused with ulterior motives. Also, as Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson alleged in February, Google kept tracking individuals' location data even after consumers told the corporation to stop. He added, this is not only dishonest, it's unlawful. Well, frankly, the app banning is uh, just the latest in a long line of anti-Christian, anti-conservative, anti-privacy, anti-free speech behavior from the world's biggest search engine. Well, Google censored pro-life ads. Google's uh, Gmail spam filter is arguably biased against conservatives. In search results definitely are Google secretly addressed Americans health data and um, Google uh, cavorts with the Chinese government, the communist Chinese government to suppress free speech and bows to Beijing regarding pandemic truths. Well, Google's motto used to be don't be evil and the imperative still exists in the company's code of conduct yet to the list of transgressions that I've mentioned. The hypocritical data collection company has added blocking a certain kind of app for collecting data. Sadly, such hypocrisy is par for the course in Silicon Valley. It is a sad truth. Well, we are out of time today. I do want to thank James Blinn for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and for um, Pastor Wendell Robinson for joining us. I want to thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.